feminist milestone in my life this past week. Did you stop shaving? No. <laughs> Been there, done that uh-huh. at Lauren's bachelorette party. Right. Um, no, I watched A League of Their Own for the first time ever. What? First time ever. I've never seen it. There's no crying what in baseball. What kind of feminist am I? I really don't know. I don't know. I was uh, May for Halloween. I know. <laughs> I was just like, you know what? Like, Casey, <laughs> it was the weekend. We were exhausted. I have an ear infection, which isn't fun. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to pick the movie we watched tonight because we absolutely like did not go to a party we were supposed to because I was <laughs> feeling like having shit. an ear infection. Yeah. So I was like, all right, you know what? I'm, we're going to watch a league of their own tonight and it's going to be amazing. And it was, you guys <laughs> truly enjoyed it. Didn't you? I will say I hated her sister. I was yeah. like, you need to get out of here, which is probably yeah. why nobody talks about her. I didn't even know she was a character. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, I was really excited about it. <laughs> it is a great movie. It's also one like my parents know all the lines from, but never like sat me down and showed me as a kid. That's so weird. And it's like, why? <laughs> I don't understand why you wouldn't show me this movie. Right. It's not like there's anything wrong. Women were smoking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? They weren't even like I know loose. I know, well, except for one, except for Madonna. <laughs> May, <laughs> duh. Um, yeah, what an excellent, excellent movie. I tried to get our family to watch um, to all the boys I love before, which I love. <gasps> oh, um, it's so but good. then Jake was like, "I'm just tired of chick flicks because we've watched them like the last few weekends," and I was like. Shut up with that derogatory term. No, thank you. I was really angry about it. It's a great movie, and it will go down as a rom-com classic. Yeah. It absolutely That's what will. I said. I was like, this is a father-daughter story, and you just passed up moments with your daughters. So <sighs> I'm very sorry for you. Mm. Well, we're not here to talk about A League of Their Own yet. <laughs> uh, we're here to talk about her story. On the Rocks. With Katie. And Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. And we talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. But keep in mind, we are drinking the entire time. And we are not historians. Mm -mm. Uh, So I'm going to tell a story, or Katie goes first tonight, and we're going to drink her cocktail with her woman, and then I'm going to tell a story, and then we're going to compare them. And it's just going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be sloppy by the end. If Mm. you've never listened before... Stick it out and then listen to all other 120 some odd <laughs> episodes. Yeah, because there is definitely a good bit of hooting and hollering near the end. Mm-hmm. Sometimes in the beginning. You never know. You never know. But before we really get into these stories, we know that you're busy. You're changing the headlights on your car. You are. And it's messy. And I don't really know what goes into it. The highlights might be hot. So you have to be careful. So you can't take your hands away from that to go to your phone or your computer and look up what these women look like. So we're going to describe what they look like. We're going to get a little physical, physical. Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like? I am doing Mari Ellie Franco, and she is a black Brazilian woman with short, curly, black, sometimes blonde hair. She often wore colorful head wraps, big earrings, and had an infectious smile with just a beautiful jawline. She is Cute as a button. Mm. Cute as a button. Her eyes uh, sometimes are like piercing and other times all knowing. And when she isn't posed for a picture, she's often in front of a microphone or walking in a rally, passionately yelling with her people. 
excellent that's what Marielle <laughs> looks like she's so cute I'm I'm gonna google a picture and let you see her while, while you're talking what it. is who are you doing and what does she look like so I am doing Norma Smallwood she mm. is a young Cherokee woman with an oval face she has long dark hair parted in the middle and it's braided and formed into two buns on the side of her head a la Princess Leia. What? I know. Get out of here. Double bun. It's ridiculous. She has thin eyebrows and a soft smile, and she can be seen in either beaded swimwear or a cute dress with a sash and a crown. <laughs> beaded swimwear, just like Leia. Exactly. And as far as the hard facts go, she was 5'4", weighing 118 pounds. She had a well-molded throat with a 12-inch circumference. In case you were wondering. Just like Gaston busting those exactly. belts. Exactly. <laughs> Remember that? She scene? eats twelve dozen eggs <laughs> to help her get strong. <laughs> yeah, that scene always made me so uncomfortable when they were like wrapping like a leather strap around his arm. Yeah. And he's like biting it. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. So weird. Um but mm. yeah, but that's what she looked like. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, these ladies sound just great. Uh. Uh, isn't gosh. she the cutest? She's so bright and beautiful. <gasps> Marielle. Oh I love it. Cutest lady ever. Okay, but you are going first. I and am. Tell me what you're drinking or what we're drinking. I already snuck a sip because the straw was too tempting, but <laughs> it's really good. Okay, so this is called a Miss America. It is an ounce and a half of coconut rum, an ounce of vanilla vodka, lemon juice, honey simple syrup, and so you put all of that in a glass with just a ton of frozen raspberries and blueberries to give it that red and blue <laughs> for America. Um, and it also, they're frozen, so it kind of like keeps the drink really cold. Um, now, we put a ton in, so we had to use a straw because this thing is thick as hell. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> but put as many as you want. Um, yeah. And then you top the whole thing with club soda and you serve it kind of Tom Collins style. Uh, so I'm cheers. so excited. Ugh. It's so fruity and juicy. It's delicious. It's so delicious. I really like it. I just want to drink a hundred of it. Oh my gosh. It's like one of those things. I wanted to make something kind of like fun and light and just like it's very red white and blue too it's like, very red white and blue you could absolutely serve this on fourth of july <laughs> you, could. you absolutely could um yeah and i just wanted it to be just like really fun things because i think at the end of the day like the Miss America pageant has a lot of fucking problems but like at the end of the day like it is supposed to be like fun like i always think of like when hillary rodham clinton was like I never missed the Miss America pageant. She was like, I'll never be in it. But the closest I can get is like interviewing Miss America. And it's also like a sisterhood. <laughs> a lot of those girls it stay is. best friends for life. Like I know it's a competition, but a lot of them after they go through that pageant world together. Yeah. It's like really cool. Yeah. And I think that that's like really like, I don't know. I don't know. I think pageants get a lot of hate and they should be criticized, but as should a lot of things, as should a lot of things. Um, but yeah, so that's that. So what do you know about Norma Smallwood? Um, I only know what you said so far. So I know that she's native American based mm -hmm. on your physical. And I know that she was a pageant girl mm -hmm. and then I can make the assumption that she was probably fairly successful or something tragic happened and that's why she's famous perfect okay okay so I got a lot of this from a fantastic podcast um 
called You Must Remember This. So Cassie DaCosta was the one reporting. Um, I also got it from uh, Wikipedia, an article called Remember the Ladies, Oklahoma's First Miss America by Edwina Sinar. And another New Yorker article called Miss America's History Makers and Rule Breakers by Lauren Collins. Ooh. That one is great, but it's also like a 20-minute read. <laughs> a lengthy article. Um, but it's really, really good. It has a lot of cool history. Okay. okay. So Norma Smallwood was born in Bristow, Oklahoma on May 12th, 1909. Her father was Edward Smallwood, Smallwood, and her mother was Mahalia Angela Smallwood. Uh, she was of Cherokee descent. And that's all we really know about her early life because who cares what happens before women into the world of beauty pageants? <laughs> I mean, but that's an interesting <laughs> time. So she's born in 1909. Mm-hmm. So her parents are probably, what, in their 30s, maybe 20s? Mm-hmm. So their parents... Or no, their grandparents were probably part of the Trail of Tears if probably. she was Cherokee yeah. descent. Yeah, and I imagine her parents also like either were subject to or had you know friends or relatives part right. like the Indian boarding schools. Like because like I feel like Oklahoma definitely has been through some shit. That's where like the Cherokee ended up right yeah. at the end of the Trail of Tears. So mm-hmm. you know at least two three generations before her, like her family was being completely dismissed. From- oh yeah from the country yeah. that now she's going to represent. Beautiful. Yep. So <laughs> when Norma was 16, she graduated high school. 16. 16. Get she's it. very get smart. It. She was extremely intelligent, let me tell you. Um, and she won the title of Ms. Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1925. In 1926, she started college at the Oklahoma College for Women and, of course, entered into the Miss America pageant. Her hobbies included swimming, (laughs) dancing, and horseback riding. And she also served as the captain of her college hockey team. Ice hockey or field hockey? I'm guessing field hockey. Street hockey. (laughs) (laughs) So what made her stand out from the other girls in the competition is that she kind of rejected the flapper look. That was really popular at the time. So Hmm. she had long hair. She had a more voluptuous figure, meaning she had a larger chest than what was in style at the time. Um, Even though at only five foot four, she is technically the smallest, like like, the shortest Miss America of all time. That's my height. Listen, I knew that I could do it one Mm -hmm. day. You could. (laughs) No, I can't. I'm married. (laughs) So... She was the first contestant to win both the bathing suit and evening gown divisions. Both? <laughs> both, I know. Wow. Uh, and the Tulsa World reported, Ms. Smallwood is so quiet, poised, and graceful that the judges were mystified by her beauty and charmed by her wonderful smile. Wow. She was, she was crowned Miss America in 1926, making her the first and I believe only Native American woman to win. <laughs> I really want to see... What swimsuits they were wearing in these competitions. They were cute. They weren't like the dowdy, like, 1800s ones. Like, they were, like, they were cute. They were super cute. Okay. Um, I'll 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 take your word for it. (laughs) And let me tell you, this is pretty wild because she was the sixth winner. Ever. Ever. Huh. The sixth winner ever, which I think is really insane um that it happened so early um so her winnings included a five thousand dollar gold cup a vaudeville contract a thousand dollar watch (laughs) a thousand dollar wardrobe and a mermaid statue (laughs) 
<laughs> Ooh, that's what I want the most out of that list. <laughs> we'll get into it later, but How the early Miss, Miss America was very nautical. Ooh. But we'll get into it. <laughs> Wait, I have a question. Yes. Is this like a desktop statue or like a put out front to lure people into your home statue? Uh, a siren for a sure. Siren, okay, absolutely, okay, okay, a okay. personal siren. <laughs> um, but she didn't need it. <laughs> so Norma Smallwood, Smallwood decided that she was going to be more than just a pageant winner. She was going to use her title as Miss America to change her life. She started marketing herself and being like, would you like Miss America to cut the ribbon at your supermarket opening? <laughs> would you like Miss America to give a commencement speech at your graduation? Well, that'll be $100 and you can just make it out to Norma Smallwood. Good, I'll take it. She went all over the country doing any and every appearance, basically setting the precedence for what Miss America does today. Like, the, it hadn't been done before. Oh, there's like a booklet now. Like, you can't yeah. chew gum in public for the entire year that you're Miss America. Yeah. It's absurd. It's really weird. Uh, and in fact, during her year reign, she earned over $100,000 in appearance fees, which is $1.5 million today. Good for her. She earned more than Babe fucking Ruth that year. Isn't that unbelievable? He's from Baltimore. <laughs> Just a little shout out. <laughs> Sad Baltimore. Um, yeah, where's she from? <laughs> Oklahoma? <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> um... So she's making all this money and people just thought that it was tacky and disrespectful. She's like, I literally got a mermaid statue when I won. What is more tacky than that? And when it came time for the next Miss America pageant, they're like, okay, like come on back and crown the next winner. Like it's tradition. And she said, okay, but my appearance fee is $600. (laughs) Good. They refused to pay, so she left and did not end up crowning Lois Delander, the seventh winner of Miss America. <laughs> but she went on to have a really successful vaudeville career. She made $1,500 a week, which is insane for that time period. <laughs> and she did all this until she hit the real classic American dream when an older, wealthy gentleman fell madly in love with her. <laughs> was he a senator? No. Uh, I didn't write down what he did. Was he a captain? A boat captain? I think he was like Not family Oklahoma. rich. <laughs> no, old money. Uh, but for millionaire Thomas Gilchrist, it was love at first sight. Mm-hmm. And he came prepared with a $7,000 engagement ring. It's his dowry. <laughs> she, of course, said yes. And the two married in 1928 with a substantial prenup. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But that's only two years after she won. Oh, yeah. Good it provided. Her. I know. She's 18. <laughs> oh, good for her. I mean, whatever, girl. <laughs> uh, so the prenup provided $1,000 cash at their wedding. Um, and in case of divorce, $5,000 a year for, like, for their years together. A year later, they had their daughter, Desine Lamour, while they lived in a luxurious apartment in the heart of Paris where Norma got to study French, Spanish, and art. A dream. But it didn't take long for her to get bored. She's like, oh, my God. She's my, Carrie Bradshawing she it. She literally is. She's Ugh. like, Mr. Big, come save me. I don't like this. <laughs> get in your taxi and She's drive like, right past me. I need to go back to Oklahoma. <laughs> go get our girl. Which is what she <laughs> did. Go get our girl, Oklahoma. <laughs> She went back to Oklahoma to live with her mom in a mansion. 
<laughs> where she spent her time ignoring her husband's letters and throwing lavish parties. <laughs> <laughs> but they're still married, though? Oh, yeah. So she's still getting paid per year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, soon though, Thomas got really tired of her bullshit and yeah. he filed for divorce, citing mm. extreme cruelty and gross neglect of duty because she had absolutely left her daughter in Paris and just like did not seem interested in that. Super lame, super lame. So the divorce trial went on for a year and it got really ugly, even with a prenup, which is saying something. Um, <laughs> Thomas eventually won custody of their daughter and he gave Norma two options. He was like, okay. You can have $72,000 right now if you promise never to marry again (gasps) or $15,000 with the freedom to marry again. So she was like, I'll take the 15 grand because I do not doubt my ability to find another wealthy husband. (laughs) Um, It sounds like Walt Disney did to the Snow White voice actress. Yeah. Oh like, my gosh, he ruined her fucking life. I know. We have to cover we that. We really do. We really do. It might be like a mini so because I don't know how long her story actually is because we don't know her because she was only allowed to be Snow White. The only other um the only other voice she ever did was in Wizard of Oz she, during the Tin Man song where she goes, "Wherefore art thou, Romeo?" One of the weirdest things in the whole movie. <laughs> I mean, good for her. I mean, that's a super fucking weird movie, though. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's like, hey, you can have this much money if X, Y, Z. But also, like, you know, she was the first Disney princess of all time. So, like, pick your poison. How bad, really? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So... (laughs) would you like money now or fame forever (laughs) would you like to go down in history (laughs) norma's like how about both (laughs) can it be both (laughs) so uh, and yeah she chose the 15 grand and she was fucking right in 1936 norma married wealthy wichita oil man george bruce and they had a son together named robert in 1939 all I want to do is play big band music right now while you're doing this episode. <laughs> okay. I'm glad we got there. It's funny because I was going to go more. Okay. <laughs> that seems more Pink Panther to me. <laughs> the beginning of the song we also just sang. Yes, I think it is. Okay. <laughs> Dirty? <laughs> that joke is for five people. Can't only. stop believing. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. Thank <laughs> you. Okay. She spent the rest of her life watching the Miss America pageant grow and change, but was never involved again. I guess she was still waiting on that six hundred dollar appearance fee. <laughs> and she died in May of nineteen sixty six at the age of fifty six. And even though the sixth woman ever to win Miss America was a woman of color. The competition would go on to ban non-white women for many years, and they wouldn't crown a black Miss America until 1984. Whew. So Same year women got the right to run in the marathon. <laughs> Um, which we definitely need to talk about if we're going to talk about Miss America. Yeah. But first, we need to get into a little bit of history behind the Miss America beauty pageant. You mean her story? hmm So it all started where every good decision starts. 
Atlantic City in 1921. <laughs> That's where every good decision I've ever made has happened. <laughs> the city tourism department wanted people to stay past Labor Day, and local businesses were eager for the advertising potential. So the inner beauty pageant... <laughs> I'm sorry, the inner city beauty pageant. I was going to say, inner beauty. (laughs) I feel like it's an outer beauty pageant. (laughs) It definitely is. The inner city beauty pageant. Um, It was modeled after like a baby parade, which I don't know what that is. I should have looked it up. Um, And of course, its proximity to the sea meant that it was a very maritime themed event. This sounds very (laughs) off-putting to me. The contestants from Washington, D.C., Pittsburgh, Harrisburg, Ocean City, Camden, Newark, New New York City and Philadelphia. Ocean City, New Jersey? Mm, or Maryland? I'm going to guess so. <laughs> Not in like, Maryland. Maryland, no. <laughs> All they have is ponies. No thanks. <laughs> um, they were ferried around on a boat, captained, of course, by King Neptune, a bronzed, bearded patriarch wearing purple robes and a jeweled crown. <laughs> I want to go to this. Also, I'd like to note, so he was like a wealthy inventor, um, and he only had one hand because he blew it up in like a chemical accident it trying time to, to invent this party. It's outrageous. <laughs> so he ferried them around, and then he took them to the pier. Wait, he was really Captain Hook. Yeah, absolutely. If he blew one hand off. I know. This is the Little Mermaid Peter Pan collab we've been waiting for. Okay. Snow White. (laughs) Little Uh, So he would take them to the pier where the ladies would meet the mayor and kind of parade around in dresses and, of course, bathing suits. (laughs) And let's take a moment to appreciate the fact that it was illegal for women to bare their knees at the beach. But if it was for advertisement and men's enjoyment, like, please just stroll up the pier a little further. It's like a catwalk. The first catwalk. The very first winner was 16-year-old Marguerite Gorman. And Tyra Banks was at the end. And she was like, yes, smize in the sea, girl. (laughs) Um, She was from Washington, D.C. And she was officially crowned the Golden Mermaid and got $100. The Golden? I want to bring this back so I know. We need more mermaids at Miss America. Please and thank you. (laughs) Now, of course, this event did not get away scot-free. The bathing suit section in particular, which is has always been a thing. Um, Now, women's groups and religious groups actually banded together to protest the event. (laughs) Same as temperance. (laughs) Same as, I mean, just literally same as everything. Um, (laughs) Same as everything. What am I talking about? (laughs) Yeah, me and the religious groups were banding together (laughs) on Roe v. Wade. (laughs) I wish. Um, So, wait, for which way? Them them siding with us? I want them to sign with us. Okay, okay, okay. So the feminists obviously believed that the event was exploiting women and the religious groups thought that it was completely inappropriate. So it's like mm, demeaning, indecent, tomato, tomato. <laughs> but what's interesting is that part of the competition, like it kind of was in response to like early feminism. So women, well, white women had just gotten the vote a year before and men did not like the turn that America was taking. Uh So pageants really did start to serve as a way to kind of like remind women that they should strive to be perfect, demure, subservient. Like it really, like we can't ignore that that definitely was like a part of it. Like it it wasn't the only reason. The first reason was obviously advertisement and money. Uh (laughs) It was very like, 
I mean, it's the way that with dog shows, it's like, let's make sure this breed of dog is just right. Exactly. And it's, I mean, when you look at it like that, which is what it is, it's very insulting. Absolutely. So... In 1928, the competition was shut down due to financial reasons because it was the Great Depression, Mm. Uh, but it came back to life in 1935 when things take a really serious turn. (laughs) So a woman named Lenora Slaughter became the director, and she wanted this competition to exemplify what it means to be a better class of American woman. She added the talent competition. She instituted scholarships instead of just prize money. And she created the coronation ceremony. So it was kind of a thing that happened, but it was like now like a lot of more pomp and circumstance to the whole thing. This is like the bad guy mom from Hairspray. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Even more so because she decided to add a very specific rule. This is rule number seven. That contestants must be in good health and of the white race. But this wasn't even the case because Latinx women, Asian women, and Jewish women were allowed to compete. So it literally only applied to black women. And what about Native so American fucking women? Racist. Uh, I, they, I think they could too. Didn't say specifically, but it like it was like if you can be light skinned enough, right? Everything was basically like just if you're not black. Okay, so if you could present as white within your race, you could get away with it. That's the thing. It's like, it was literally just everyone but black women. Like, right. It was very, like, cause like a, like a light-skinned black woman still wouldn't have been able to compete. Mm, so, interesting. Yeah, it was really wild. Um, and horribly racist. <laughs> surprise! Now, surprise! <laughs> so this rule was thrown out in 1940, but the effects still remained. Black women did not feel welcome in the pageant world, and they would stay out of it until the 1970s. But they didn't stay out of pageants altogether. In 1968, Miss Black America was established to give young black women a chance to compete and show the world that black is beautiful. And Oprah Winfrey, as we talked about before, even competed, and she was Miss Black Tennessee. Mm. So in 1983, the first African-American woman won Miss America. And I cannot leave this story without also telling you the story of Vanessa Williams. Tell me. (gasps) Pocahontas! She... Did she voice She Pocahontas? sang. Judy Kuhn, um Voice. Voice. One of them, v- Vanessa sings. I feel like Vanessa sang like the CD On the soundtrack. Version. On the soundtrack, mm-hmm. yeah. Like the one that plays at like the end of the movie. Her Colors title gets wind. taken yeah. away, right? Mm-hmm. I know everything mm-hmm. about her. That was my era, Miss America. <laughs> so, yes, you're going to get a whole nother fucking story right now of Two Vanessa Williams. Two for one! Two for one! Two Vanessa Williams. I call her Ness, but... (laughs) Nessie? People who don't know Um, her. (laughs) So, Vanessa Williams was born in the Bronx on March 18th, 1963, to Heather and Milton Williams. And this is very true. Her birth announcement read, Here she is, Miss America. (gasps) Her birth announcement! That sounds like Venus and Serena's dad. I know. (laughs) Her parents were both music teachers and her younger... And so her and her younger brother and her whole family eventually moved to the predominantly white suburb um, uh, uh, 
a predominantly white suburb of New York. The, um, <laughs> the one. I <laughs> uh, didn't write down the name. Um, Upper East Side. <laughs> but being the child of musicians, she had a clear talent from the start. She studied classical and jazz, dance, French horn, and piano, and violin. Mandolin. And, what? <laughs> Man- and mandolin. Yes. <laughs> Her and Casey and Claire. Um, <laughs> um, and she was eventually offered, like, she was so good. She was eventually offered the presidential scholarship for drama to attend Carnegie Mellon University. <gasps> Stop it. But she turned it down. I know. She was like, I want to go to Syracuse. And they're like, okay. And she was like, I want to major in musical theater. So she goes there. She's having a pretty good time. She is sexually active. She's smoking pot. She's drinking like any normal college student. I told you we were friends. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And this is why, like, she, like, she's like, I wasn't the typical candidate for Miss America. But when Bill Harmon, a board member of the Miss America pageant, saw her perform at her school, he, like, basically recruited her for the pageant even though she'd never been in one well a lot no of experience. Um, a lot of uh black women have been recruited over the years because it was like really? it's not like second nature your mom had read this whole newspaper article that she told me about about a woman who was like ex-military who like this beautiful black woman who somebody approached her and was like i really think you should be a miss america and that's one of those things where somebody approaches you in the mall and you're like yeah like, right wow but then she like did it like four or five years in a row and like never won but then she did win like on the fifth year and oh this gosh. is just recently and now she like goes around the country like talking to girls about not giving up and like uh, being beautiful incredible. so i i just feel like it's probably so ingrained in our culture that it's like Miss America is supposed to look like X, Y, Z. Oh yeah. And I'm sure it changes with the trends of the era. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I bet that just because people for so long have been trained to believe that it should be a a white person is more beautiful. I mean, for thousands of years. Oh yeah, absolutely. That it's probably easier to like recruit people of different races. Yeah. So he saw her and he was like, you should do Miss America and she declined at first she's like no that's not really for me I'm more into theater but then he was like but don't you know like the end prize is a huge scholarship and she was like that doesn't nice um so she was like you know what okay fine I'll do it but of course this meant that she had to win a few other pageants first because you can't just go in uh so she won the title of miss syracuse in april 1983 then she went on to win miss new york in july 1983 and on september 17th 1983 she was crowned miss america after dazzling the judges and audience with the song happy days are here again white america was obviously not super pleased that a black woman had won and black america did not really feel like this white like that this light-skinned woman represented them she later stated there were a lot of people that did not want me to be representative of the united states and miss america and Mm. not just white people alone there were a lot of people who had issues i was too light my eyes were the wrong color my hair wasn't the right texture and just getting criticism for being who i was and of course like you know this isn't you know all of white America, all of black America. But I think it was just really shocking, like how much hate she was getting from all sides. And she wasn't the only contestant experiencing things like this. 
She was only one of five minority contestants that year. And ballet dancer Deneen Graham had already had a cross burned on her front yard because she was the first black Miss North Carolina, which mm. is so upsetting. And is she also light skinned or was she darker skinned? She was darker skinned. Okay. And I mean, it's just, it's like we were just saying, it's part of the, the trend, right? Like oh, yeah. people for so long have been so terrible. Like when we think about in places like, Rwanda where people had their noses measured and they did like the pencil test where they would drop a pencil through your hair to see if it fell through like people have been quote-unquote breeding to be whiter and that's horrifying yeah so I can imagine that there's just like this big contention in it oh yeah there is um but I mean through all the hate though she did get a lot of love she said people would come up and say they never thought they'd see the day that it would happen And when people would want to shake my hand, you'd see tears in their eyes. And they'd say, I never thought I'd see it in my lifetime. That's when you know it was definitely a very special honor. But nothing could prepare her for what would come right before the next Miss America pageant. In July of 1984, just two months before the end of her reign, she was informed that Penthouse Magazine was publishing nude photos of her. And not just nude photos of her, but nude photos with another woman. These were photos that had been taken during her freshman year of college when she was working as a makeup artist and assistant for photographer Tom Chiappel. And this is what she said happened. He had a concept of having two models pose nude for silhouettes, basically to make different shapes and forms. The light would be behind the models. I was reluctant, but since he assured me that I would be the only one to see them and I would not be identifiable in the photographs, I agreed. He had also gotten the other model to agree to this. So basically, he's telling her, like, no, 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 like, this is silhouette only. You're not going to see your face. People won't and know also, who you are. like, this is just like, you know, I'm just trying things out, you know. So, like, these photos are never going to go anywhere. He promised her that the photographs would never leave the studio And Vanessa said she believed that they had been destroyed. She was like, no, like, we're friends. Like, I met his wife and his kids. He was respectful, and he always paid me on time. Like, why wouldn't I trust him? But, of course, uh, they were not destroyed. And this asshole knew that if he had naked photos of Miss America, he could make a lot of money. The photos were initially offered to Playboy, but Hugh Hefner refused them because he knew that Vanessa had not given consent. He later said, the single victim in all of this was the young woman herself, whose right to make this decision was taken away from her. If she wanted to make this kind of statement, that would be her business. But the statement wasn't made by her. I mean, sometimes I hate him, but that's fucking cool. That's so cool. Like, let's be clear. Like, Hugh Hefner did, like, a lot of terrible things. Like, that's basically how he got his career started was by publishing Marilyn Monroe's nude photos, I believe, without her consent. And she only got $50 for those pictures. Right. But she didn't own them. She got paid for the pictures ahead of time. Yeah. And then once she was a little more famous, the guy, Tom, who took the pictures, Mm -hmm. sold them. Yeah. So she didn't technically own them. Once you sell away those rights. Yeah. But that was, like, 1950. Nobody knew that shit. Right. This is, like, the 80s. Yeah. And it was, she had specifically not given consent. You know right. what I'm saying? And You're like, supposed to sign off on that yeah, shit if it yeah. goes in a, And she didn't. Right. And the whole, th- and like, again, like Hugh Hefner, 
<laughs> Very contentious figure. Hi. Not cool with a lot of things that he's done, but this was a good thing that he did it's by the not yang. doing it. You can it. be a bad person and make I a good decision. Good. <sighs> um, Penthouse, on the other hand, had no such qualms, which is not surprising since they knowingly published nude photos of underage girls, which I didn't know about. <sighs> so the photos were published. Penthouse made $14 million off of this issue. It was their most popular one. Mm. And Vanessa Williams was given 72 hours to resign and give up her crown. And she did. She uh, made the runner-up, Suzette Charles, Miss New Jersey, uh, Miss America for the remaining seven weeks. And she was actually a biracial woman. So, like, it was kind of cool that it still went to a woman of color. Um but if she thought that people hated her before, they really hated her now. But it, it harkens back to, like, the whole point of the competition was to remind women how they're supposed to act. It's like, don't tell me I can't take nude photos. Yeah. No, exactly. Oh, my gosh. It just sucked. Um, it, and, like, especially, like, like, black Americans, like, really felt betrayed. They're like, you had one job. Like, you were the first black Miss America, and you were supposed to represent us as, like, upstanding, like, respectable. That's what's so Citizens. hard about being a minority. Oh, it sucks. And she just got, like, a lot of hate about this. And, again, it's not all black Americans, but she got a lot of hate mail about this. One paper reported, overnight, Vanessa Williams went from being America's darling to a national disgrace. Mm. And it didn't just affect her. Vanessa's mother's mental and physical health suffered greatly when all of this was happening. Because, of course, like, they can't just leave the mother of this tramp alone. Like, it must have been her fault somewhere along the way. And it sucks because Vanessa talks about She's like, my mom told me early on, like, before I left home, she was like, just promise me one thing. Don't ever take nude pictures. I know. It sucks. Vanessa, of course, filed a $500 million lawsuit against um, Chiapo, the photographer, and the head of Penthouse, Bob Guccione, who he's a real piece of fucking work. Um, and she was all ready to go through with it. But then during the deposition process, her lawyer asked her, he goes, well, have you ever been with another woman? And she said, well, you know, I've never really talked about this, but I was molested when I was 10 years old by an older woman. And he was like, look, even if you think no one in the world knows about this, someone will find out and it will come out during the trial and it will be another news story about you. Like, are you ready for that? And she was like, I'm not. I am not ready to talk about this abuse and trauma that I haven't even dealt like." She's like, no, I, I, I'm not ready for that. And she just, like, wasn't ready for this nasty, long-winded court case where her whole life would be aired out in public. And she was like, you know, at this point, I just want to put it behind me and move on with her life. So she dropped the case. I mean, you know, sometimes you have to. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I think she thought a lot about it. And, like, she had to do what she had to do to, like, really protect herself at this time. So she dropped the case, but she wasn't going to go away quietly. She told People Magazine, I'm not a lesbian and I'm not a slut, and somehow I'm going to make people believe me. But it was a difficult road ahead. She was constantly made fun of in the media, specifically on late-night talk shows. 
And well, you become a punchline. No, you absolutely do. And in one instance, she went to audition for a play, and the wife of uh, the lyricist for the musical, um, so Ira Gershwin, who's a very famous composer and lyricist, um, his wife was kind of, you know, ahead of, like, production and stuff like that. And when Vanessa Williams came to audition, she said, absolutely not. Over my dead body, will that whore be in my show? That's terrible. I know. But she persisted. Four years after the incident, she released her first album, The Right Stuff, which had two hit singles. But her second album, The Comfort Zone, would produce her most famous song, Save the Best for Last. Mm -hmm. I hope you save the best for last. Yeah, I love it. Thank you for singing it because, like, I can never remember how it goes, (laughs) but I recognize it immediately. (laughs) Ah, it's my era. It's so great. Um, I mean, I didn't know that she did that song. Yeah. She's very famous. She's super famous. She appeared on Broadway many times, which was her goal in the first place. That's all she ever wanted to do was just be on Broadway. (laughs) Good for her. Uh, And in the late 90s, she started getting television and movie roles. She became the first African-American spokeswoman for L'Oreal Cosmetics. And her biggest roles to date have definitely been on Ugly Betty and Desperate Housewives. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) She has been a mainstay of pop culture for years, and she even has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And she should. Mm -hmm. 32 years after the scandal, Vanessa went back to Miss America in 2015. She served as head judge. Did she get $600? No. (laughs) (laughs) But if she was normal, she would have. And she performed the song, Oh, How the Years Go By, as a direct nod to, like, remember when you did that all those years ago. Remember when you didn't like me? Mm-hmm. Did they reinstate her crown? Uh, I don't know. But I know that um, then, like, they were like, stay on stage for a minute. And the Miss America CEO, Sam Haskell, came out and she was like, I didn't know what was about to happen, but his hands were shaking. And... He said, I have been a close friend of this beautiful and talented lady for 32 years. You have lived your life in grace and dignity, and never was it more evident than during the events of 1984 when you resigned. Though none of us currently in the organization were involved then, on behalf of today's organization, I want to apologize to you and to your mother. I want to apologize for anything that was said or done that made you feel any less the Miss America that you are and the Miss America that you will always be. Wow. I know. That's precious. And along with her prestigious acting and music career, Vanessa has also been able to release the details of her child abuse and an abortion she had in high school and everything that she's gone through on her own terms Mm. to demonstrate to other young women that they are not alone in 2012 she and her mother wrote a dual memoir called you have no idea (laughs) a famous daughter her no-nonsense mother and how they survived pageants hollywood love loss and each other and now she is not just remembered as an actress a singer and an author but she is technically the most successful Miss America of all time. Literally, try to name another Miss America. I couldn't. Can't do it. Can't do it. 
But everybody knows Vanessa Williams. Even yeah. if, like, you don't know her name, like, if you see her face, you're like, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh. Like, I know exactly who that is. Yeah. She's the only Miss America, really, to, like, break into, like, Hollywood and pop culture. Right. And I think that that is just an incredible legacy to leave, to leave because, like, she they wanted her to just go away and she just fucking didn't and it almost it's almost the scandal that made her mm-hmm. it like i and i'm i'm sure it didn't feel that way at the time but it really yeah i mean that's the first thing my mom told me about her that's the first thing i knew about her that mm-hmm. she got her title taken away because of nude photos yeah um because i really i was old enough when pocahontas came out to like listen to the soundtrack mm-hmm. um which plays during the credits. I believe she's singing yeah. during the credits of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember my mom telling me that yep. as like a young child. And that stuck with me. Like oh, I remember yeah. knowing, yeah, Vanessa Williams, nude photos, got her title taken away. Yeah. And like, I think she would have been like successful regardless, mm-hmm. but I love that she was successful in spite of. Right. And that's the story of Norma Smallwood, Vanessa Williams, and some Miss America. And Hugh Hefner. <laughs> and Hugh Hefner. <laughs> um, Deshauna Barber was the girl I was talking about, but oh. she was a Miss USA. Oh. It is funny because I was going to go into the difference between Miss USA and you Miss America. You don't need America, to. We but all I was know. like, I don't need to. One of them involves it's Donald Trump. Fine. <laughs> okay, we're going right. to get more drinks. We'll be right back. Bye, friends. Modern world of science and invention is of particular interest to women. I'm Lexi. I'm Haley. And I'm Alana. And we're covering the good, the bad, and the ugly of women's history. Tune in to Lady History every Thursday to hear about different ladies across history and cultures, from astronauts to zoologists. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Lady History Pod and find us wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so second half, I have some serious shout-outs. Okay, give them to me. First and foremost, from New York, Bestie Bestie Joanne brought us a mixer. I can't wait to show you in the (gasps) fridge. She was like, I saw this at Trader Joe's and had to buy it because she loves things at Trader Joe's. Me too. So (laughs) I am going to like dedicate you to making a cocktail that exists with it okay um vero said she can't believe i promoted swan princess without talking about how (laughs) it uh shows a movie with a male showing real feelings which is like actually true so yeah yeah, i can't either believe i don't remember what i said about swan princess because it was a promo it's always very drunk so who knows what we say and alicia thank you for last week really caring about our three (laughs) minute cat vibe because i was laughing so hard when i listened to that part of the episode it's so outrageous i every time i listen to us talk i'm like do i really want people to listen to this (laughs) (laughs) i think i do i think i do the answer is always yes because they need to know it is so do you want to know what you're drinking i do it looks delicious and colorful so this drink is called for the others and it is kind of out there and it's very tart okay so be prepared for a tart drink this okay. might be the worst drink we've made this season <gasps> oh no but not it's not bad it's just very sweet wait tart or sweet a mixture of both. <laughs> Get right. You can tell me what you think. Okay. So it's an ounce and a half of raspberry vodka. 
an ounce of sweet vermouth, three-fourths of an ounce of lemon juice, three-fourths of an ounce of pomegranate juice, not liqueur, just juice. juice. Okay. And then a half an ounce of coconut simple syrup, and then a menagerie of fruit on a pick. I have a lime, a raspberry, and an orange, but you can use any type of fruit that you have in your house All right, well, to make cheers. it pretty. Mm. I actually love it. You love it? I do. Okay, so it's not too over-the-top tart. No, I don't think it is because you're right. There is a weird sweetness that kind of centers it. I think I it's the coconut that brings it down off the edge. Let me tell you, coconut <laughs> fixes any cocktail. It really does. <laughs> if you're an amateur cocktail maker, add in some coconut and it'll just make whatever fa- flavor was too harsh. It'll like curve the mm. edges off. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'm getting like a t- like a hint of oregano, which I know sounds insane. But it's not in there. It's not in there, <laughs> but I taste it. <laughs> Maybe I'm having a stroke. Maybe I, I haven't washed these glasses. <laughs> <laughs> From our oregano cocktail we made last week. Um, yeah, I think it's just like there's some kind of flavor combination in there. That's it's like pretty good. Italian, Italian food. Yeah. But it's just, I really like it. It's There's a lot going on. Go <laughs> Okay, so what do you know about Marielli Franco? Nothing. Okay. Never heard the name before. Have no idea. Okay. The thunder is ripe in Baltimore. That's all right. It's all right. It's okay. Yeah. It's not the second coming. It's fine. No, it's not. <laughs> We're going to stay behind. <laughs> okay, so you know nothing about her. No, literally so- nothing. I don't even know, like, I know we're in like Brazil and that's like it. Okay. I'm really excited. That's one of the reasons it's so colorful. She's a very colorful person and I cannot wait to talk about her. Okay. Marielle Francisco de Silva was born July 27th, 1979 in Mare, which is a slum in Northern Rio de Janeiro. These are very, very humble beginnings because Marais, which is described as a favela, which is the Brazilian term for slum or shanty town, uh, is not a great place to be born and raised in Brazil. So it is surrounded by two powerful gangs as well as a paramilitary group. Mm. And Marais ranks in one of the worst slums in Rio in terms of life expectancy, education, and per capita income. So she's not living in the best place right now in the 1970s and 80s. This is where she was raised and resided for all of her early life up through her early adult years, like into her 20s. She got a job and began to contribute contribute to her household income at 11 years old to help her parents pay for her to go to school. They didn't have the money to get her to school, which a lot of kids in favelas just drop out of education because they don't have the money for it. In an interview, her sister says that they grew up constantly witnessing violence. They would often miss school because they had to hide inside due to gang slash police shootouts in the (sighs) streets. And they would also walk past dead bodies in the streets on a regular basis. Which have you ever walked past a dead body in Baltimore? Uh, I feel like I have. I've only, I've done it twice. Yeah. Where there's like the police and the white cover. Oh, yeah. Over top of a person. Um, mm-hmm. 
I've never and then and then once in Italy. Did you do it in India? I feel like that might be we more definitely did see a lot of funeral because the funerals are so big okay. and like I remember like there was like a parade one time and Mora and I were like, what the hell is going on? And then we saw them like bring out like the the corpse, you know, mm-hmm. of course like shrouded in white with like flowers over it and everything. But mm-hmm. but yeah, it was wild. It is, and I feel like funerals are so interesting in that the body is prepared and and when you like see a dead body that has not been prepared it's very shocking well it's interesting because i feel like they're prepared but hidden Mm -hmm. and i think it is this weird connection like uh kind of relationship that americans have with death where like there's something there, but we really don't like to talk about it. And we mm. like to make it as pretty as possible. So Put we're like, makeup. yeah, exactly. So we're like, no, they're fine. <laughs> it's like, no, they're not. Like, you know, and it's kind of like, I just, there's a lot to do there. Like, I know my friend Jenna is a death doula. And like, she was trained to have very open conversations about death because Americans in particular and uh, have a really hard time with talking about it. Yeah, I, I just thought it was interesting, like, growing up, walking down the street, seeing dead bodies on a regular basis, and how that must change you as a person. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm sure you, in in some capacity, become almost desensitized to it. Right. Be- I, I mean, because Baltimore is one of the one of the cities in America that has the one of the highest murder rates, yeah. and I rarely see it, so I can't mm-hmm. imagine... Mm-mm. How it, high it must be there. Right, exactly. So, she later said that this is probably where her passion for human rights came from in knowing that nobody's life should be like this. Mm-hmm. Like this is not how it should be. At 19 years old, she gave birth to her first child. It was 1998 and the father is not around to help her raise her daughter in the slums. Um, But she also decides to keep up with her goals while she's doing this. She wanted to do bigger and better things, not to escape the favela, but to improve it. Mm. So she is grinding because she believes she doesn't want to get out of her situation. She wants to improve her situation and the situation of her entire community. To do this, she enrolled in a free college prep course, which cheers to the government. These were made by the Brazilian government to teach young people how to improve their neighborhoods, specifically free programs for people in the favelas. And while she's doing this, she's working as a preschool teacher on minimum wage salary and raising her baby alone. So she's going to classes a single mother raising a baby in a super dangerous neighborhood with a minimum wage job in like the 1990s. Mm. So she's not doing well. This free course led her to getting a scholarship for one of Brazil's elite universities, the Catholic University of Rio de Janeiro. At the time, in terms of demographics of Brazil, over 50% of the citizens identified as black or mixed race. Marielle was one of only two black Brazilians oh. at this university. Oh my God. So she did get in on a scholarship. Um, but there is just, there's a mass amount of racism in Brazil, just like in a lot of countries in North and South America who were colonized by Europe. Skin color is a very big issue. Oh yeah. Well, and I feel like, um, we'll get into it in just the two of us, but like colorism is huge huge. there because it all kind of, the melanin in your skin is so important because it kind of dictates like, well, 
were you were your ancestors slaves or were they slave owners? You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. it is kind of like I know. Were I read... they the rich colonizers? Yeah, or exactly. What? Right. And I remember I read this book about um, it's called like I think like Flesh, Bone and Blood. And it was about like these two like kids growing up and like but like she was always the maid because she was darker and poor. And like it was like. It just like seeing the world of colorism through chill, like, you know, teenagers was really interesting. Right. In and Brazil. It's, it's so funny that I brought up Rwanda earlier, mm-hmm. because when you think about like the Rwanda Burundi conflict with the Hutus and the Tutsis, it's like they're both technically black, but the yeah. colorism was what was so important. And it went mm-hmm. on for generations. Yeah. Oh, we're so intelligent. Oh, <laughs> We don't know jack shit about any of this. We're like, we're pretending we know what we're talking about, but really we're the biggest (laughs) load of bullshit I've ever heard. Okay. Erase the last 10 minutes of your life and go and listen to a real person (laughs) who knows what they're talking about. Oh my God. Okay. So people who listen to our show are real educators, like college professors in these areas. So gosh, I know. Like, (laughs) Alicia Go to Gutierrez I know, is like I know, I know, I know, the I know. smartest person I know. ever. Go on our personal Twitter and then find all our followers. Yeah. And then, and then just listen, listen to, to what they have to say. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay. So at the precipice of her years in this college, one of her dear, dear friends was struck by a stray bullet, which happens a lot in cities like this. It even happens here. Um, in a police gang shootout and was killed. And this catapulted Mariella into human right. Marielle, sorry, it's not Mariella, Marielle, into human rights activism. As she works towards her degree, she became a full-time human rights activist and did obtain a degree in social sciences and also gained full-time work. She was on human rights and social committees in Brazil and was quickly becoming one of the most notable members of Brazil's new left-wing party, the Party of Socialism and Liberty. She earned her master's degree in public administration and became a leader on the Human Rights Commission, which I'm going to give props right now because if she was one of only two black people getting her bachelor's, I can't imagine what the master's degree program was like. Her master's thesis considered the law enforcement programs to take control or to retake control of Rio's gangs. So she's very into gang police influence in the favelas. Marielle spoke out on many things, including these are all things that are going to get her in trouble, by the way, women's rights, the rights of people living in the favelas, women's ownership of their own body, police government corruption, the rights of black Brazilians, and also very near and dear to her art, LGBTQ plus rights. Mary Ellie identifies as bisexual. She has had relationships with men, obviously, because she has a biological daughter. But in 2004, she began a relationship with Monica Beneico. And um, this is the love of her life. Around this time is when she started to get involved with some 
bigger names in the community. In 2007, Marielli worked as a consultant for a state representative, Marcello Frescio, and she coordinated the State Legislator Committee for Defense of Human Rights and Citizenship. And he was also outspoken about police and gangs and corruption. So now she's working for him and just like they are on a roll. She also worked for the Brazilian Foundation and for the Moray Center for Solidarity Studies and Action. Her rise in power, though, directly correlates with Brazil's rise in violence. Part of her public popularity was due to her views on violence in the favelas. And she loudly and regularly spoke out against corruption and inequity in the system. After 10 years of working in human rights activism, she ran for a seat on Rio City Council, which was a radical act just for her to do that in and of itself. Because just over, like we said earlier, just over 50% of Brazilians identify as black or mixed. But most politicians, including the president at the time and the cabinet, are all white men. Yeah. All of them. And Marielle... On the other hand, is black, queer, feminist from the favelas. She is othered in every literally every aspect that you can be (laughs) othered is what she is, and she keeps pushing these topics that are political suicide. Like she's helping out single mothers. She's criticizing the police. She wants to help poor people and women and black people. Like. The government's like, no. People that are like, no. No, that's (laughs) dollar signs, dollar signs, dollar signs. Because programs like that cost money. Yeah. Because the system is not, the budget is not pre-set up to help those people. No, it's not. Like, and I feel like that's like the whole thing is like people talk a lot about like, you say that like this, like, you know, program or whatever is losing money. And it's like, they're never supposed to be businesses. They're meant to be. It's not a for-profit. Yeah, <laughs> they're meant to be services, not right. businesses. Like, these are meant to help people because right. our system is fucking unequal. Yeah. Fortunately for her, her political strategy and opinions matter. And she's in Brazil, which is at this point in her life a democracy. So in general, what she said really spoke to people and it worked. She had successfully positioned herself as a representative and defender of poor black women and women from the favelas with over 46,500 votes. She was one of 51 representatives elected with the fifth highest votes overall out of 1,500 candidates. Mm. The only black woman out of the 51 representatives elected. Oh my gosh. Now, with the law behind her, she could continue to fight. As a city council member, Marielle fought against gender violence for reproductive rights. She chaired the Women's Defense Commission and for the rights of people, obviously, like we keep saying, living in the favelas. Again, very, very, very vocal about police violence. Brazil has been rated as having one of the most violent police forces in the world. In 2017, over a thousand people were killed in police confrontations. So the then president decided, well, what we need to do to fix this gang police violence is hand our country over to the military. 
public control. Ooh. Now, Brazil had been a democracy since the 1980s, um, and that had taken it back from a military regime. Regime. So handing the the public control of the people back to the military was not popular for many people. One of them being Marielli, who is like, no, this is going to add to the violence yeah. for the poor people. You can't just have the military marching through the streets. So they do decide to their credit to make her one of four people who are put on a commission to oversee the military interventions so that she can report on what's happening and point out the problems and try to fix it. So, working with the Rio de Janeiro lesbian front, Mariella is presenting, Marielle is presenting bills, and she is working to, like, make lesbians visible in Brazil, and she's watching the military, and this bill does come up in 2017 to, to create a day of lesbian visibility, but it's to defeated a vote of 1917, which that's pretty good. That she only is. lost by two. I just feel like so many people that would be in her position would be trying to kind of barter and like, okay, well, like, what should I bring up now? Should I be fighting for these people or these people? Like, what mm-hmm. takes precedence? Right. What am I most likely to get through? Which I feel like is where a lot of politicians kind of falter in and like, Instead of being like, you know what? I'm just going to fucking fight for all of Everybody. it. Everybody. I'm just going to fight for all of it. Like, she is not making concessions or whatever you want to say about any part of her or who she's fighting for. She's like, I'm just going to do fucking all of it because who knows how long I'll be here. Right. <laughs> and she's threatening. She's so threatening yeah. to them because honestly, she had a tougher upbringing. Yeah, she And when did. you're rough and tumble like that, you, people people don't. They don't intimidate you. No. And she's also not really concerned about like, I know like you're probably not supposed to do it this way, but you know, like fuck your rules. I'm not going to be bothered by them. I don't care. Because things need to change. And you know what? That kind of bullshit also needs to change. It's under the umbrella of like dumb stuff. (laughs) Yeah, she is. And I mean, she's also kind of thriving in her personal life. She and Monica actually move in together after dating for like 24 years or something. They move in together into like outside of the uh, favela. They get like a place together, which is like, yes, you've made it. You made it out. And her daughter, who at this point is 19, is living with them. And they're just this happy little family. And they get engaged (gasps) to be married in 2018. So this is so beautiful. We, though, do know based on one of Katie's previous episodes how the president of brazil feels about gay people right He's brazilian now. trump that's what right. they call he him. is the brazilian trump he's coming up in this story don't worry worry actually so she had defied the odds she made it out of the favela she was serving on the city council she's a symbol of hope for all the marginalized communities in brazil that feel left out for decades but The police and gang violence is wearing on. March 13th, 2018, a young black man is killed in Brazil. And she tweets, another homicide, obviously not in English, (laughs) in Portuguese, right? Is that what they speak in Brazil? Portuguese. Another homicide of a young man that could be credited to the police. Matthias Milo was leaving church when he was killed. How many others will have to die for this war to end? Is what she tweeted. The next day, 
Morielli attended a roundtable discussion titled Young Black Women Moving Power Structures, where she told the women, we have to occupy every place with our bodies, trying to get them involved and seek justice for themselves and their communities, like she did. Less than two hours after leaving the roundtable, she, her driver, Anderson Pedro, and one of her press officers were driving down the street in a car with tinted windows. A car pulled up beside them and unloaded nine shots into her car, four hitting Marielli, three in the head and one in the neck, and some of the others hitting her driver. This was a fatal shooting for both her and her driver. The other person in the car did survive but was injured. Marcello, which was the man that she worked under before, um, rushed to the scene of the crime when he heard and looked at the car and said that the bullets had been directed at her in a clear execution. According to the Rio police, the direction of the nine shots support the hypothesis that she was assassinated. It was found. This is before her wedding, by the way, very shortly. Oh, no. I know. It was found that the bullets that hit the car were from a batch bought by the federal police <gasps> in Brazil in 2006. What the fuck? The minister of public service later said, oh, they were stolen from post office storage facility way back in the day. But they retracted that statement quickly when the post office was like, no, they fucking weren't. They weren't. Like, don't just say they were stolen when they weren't stolen. In 2019, police arrested two men, Ronald Paulo Alves Piera, and issued warrants for Adriano Mangalese de Nobrea. Both suspects had received, just a couple years earlier, honors from uh, new President Brazil Trump's son, so they had received. So Bolsonaro is the current president of Brazil, who is known as like the Trump of Brazil. His son, before he was elected president, his son had given these two men honors. And one of the two suspects, wives and mothers, still worked for them. A former member of the military police, both of these guys allegedly have ties to vigilante militia for murder across the country. Prior to the arrest, both suspects had taken pictures with the now president in his luxury neighborhood complex. The media is reporting the truth, though. They are saying that the police are researching the possible connection between these men and the president's son. In reaction to the assassination, which obviously they're responsible for it. Oh, yeah. Like, there's a lot of debate about it. It has not been 100% proven, but the current president of Brazil has openly told parents of LGBTQ plus people to disown their children. We covered this in a different episode. I think it was the Leah T episode. It was because she's trans. Yeah. She's yeah. a trans model. And like, it was like, everything was going good. And then this fucking asshole gets in the office and then it's like, I'm not safe here anymore. Yeah. And what's interesting is he was not even the president yet when she got assassinated, but he immediately after she's assassinated, he's running for office um, he was the only candidate that did not condemn her murder publicly. Mm. 
every other candidate running for office was like, this some shady shit. Like, she got assassinated. Our country needs to fix that. In reaction to the assassination, thousands took to the streets to coordinate protests across Brazil. Both Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch condemned the killing. Journalist Glenn Greenwald, whose husband had worked with her on city council, said, because of her, we should remember her, because of her relentless and brave activism against the most lawless police battalions, because of her opposition to military intervention, and most threateningly of all, her gaining power as a black gay woman from the slums, not seeking to join Brazil's power structures, but to subvert it. Her murder was the subject of condemnation, like I said, from most people in the country other than the current president. People across the world, including Kenya specifically, were touched by this assassination. And in Nairobi, they held a workshop to paint portraits of Marielle. And young Kenyan artists participated in making this bridge to Brazil. The paintings are now held in a museum in Brazil (gasps) of Marielle. I love that. Amnesty International included her name in a campaign for those who wrote of human rights and lost their lives. She's also listed in a group of 400 women human rights activists. And that's the story of Marielle. I really didn't know that she was, I didn't think she was going to die. I was, <sighs> um, she was born in 1979 and died in like 2016. She was like th- maybe 38, I think. Oh my God. She was, she was about and around my age, like really Jesus making a difference Christ. for people in Brazil and was murdered oh. by, um, you know, I, I, I don't want to say the police of Brazil, um, but she was murdered by the higher ups who wanted to get rid of her. Yeah. All right. Well, now we need to talk about <laughs> these women <laughs> in a little segment we like to call "Just the Two of Us." I don't like. I'm so sad. I don't even know where to I start. Know. I'm so, so sad, sad that she was but killed. I think we have to start in hope. Then that. Yeah. I think that Marielle obviously her main goal was to improve. Not only her situation, but the situation of her community. And I think that, like, that is, like, I think Miss America is kind of seen as, like, something that's only meant to improve your own situation. Mm -hmm. But I think it does reach a little bit further than that. Because there are people that, like, get into these competitions that are, like, recruited that maybe, like, wouldn't have a chance to get these scholarships or whatever. And, like, yes, it is. <laughs> I don't want to say anybody can be Miss America because right. it takes a lot of money mm-hmm. to do it. Um, but there also like there is like a community outreach aspect of it. You know what I'm saying? And but I think that at the end of the day, though, the three women that we're really talking about, where it's like you know, I think Norma was definitely just trying to get her cash. <laughs> Which is fine. I've got no qualms with that. But, you know, no, I don't either. And But I feel like for Vanessa and Marielle, it was, it meant a little bit more than that. And I you, think for Vanessa, like, she was almost, like, forced into that, though, of, mm. like, okay, well, now you're going to be the spokesperson for all these people. And she's like, wow. And Marielle <laughs> chose it, for sure. Yeah, she absolutely did. It's interesting, too, that they all have these, like, 
Mars on who they are. Like yeah. with Norma, it was like, okay, for you, it's this divorce. Mm-hmm. Like that, because, you know, in the 1920s and 30s, it was like that's yeah. an inappropriate thing for women to do to dis- to not be motherly, you mm-hmm. know. And then for Vanessa, it is people of this era don't take nude photos. Yeah. And for Marielle, it's you don't be gay and you don't talk bad against the police. Like you yeah. shouldn't be a woman in politics. They're pretty much saying you can't hold the power to say what you want to say. Well, and that's what I think I like about all these stories is that they are othered in a lot of ways. Mm. And but the whole time I feel like they're saying like I am more than one thing. You know, like I feel like Norma was like kind of like known as kind of like this beauty pageant queen divorcee but she was like but I'm also like I'm also Cherokee you know like we're ignoring that kind of you know and like then there's Vanessa who is like yes I am like a beauty queen but I am also like a woman of color who was taken advantage of and then you have Marielle who is like I am queer I am black and I am here to, and I'm poor. I'm from, from poor fucking family. Like I'm here to speak for all of this. And I feel like our tendency is always to box women, especially into one category. And it's like, okay, you can speak for these people. And it's like, they're like, but what if I don't want to speak for just one group of people? What if I want to speak for tons of people? And right. we just like don't have a system yet to allow for that. And it, you know, it's because we also we put women in such extreme boxes no matter what time in history you're in there's an appropriate way for women to act and all three of these women were acting outside of the sphere that they were supposed to influence either negatively or positively and that is something that men don't have to deal with in the same way I'm not going to say men don't like fall from grace Mm -hmm. but they don't have like one standard box that was like all men act like this all black women act like that you know Mm -hmm. like there's a specific structure and none of these women wanted to play within those those roles no they didn't and I also was thinking a lot about um being vocal and I feel like Marielle was very vocal from the get-go like was speaking up all the time and I think it's very interesting to compare that to Vanessa who literally didn't go through with her court case because she wasn't ready to talk yet and I think that both are okay you know I think it's okay to be vocal your entire life and I also think it's okay to like not be ready to talk about stuff because I feel like I'm glad that we're embracing you know like therapy and talking getting your issues out and like connecting with people but sometimes it is like it's not my time yet like I saw this great it's pride month and I saw this really fantastic like pride meme or whatever where it was like a turtle and like his body was rainbow but his shell was like black and white and Mm. like it was like it's okay if you're like not ready yet because I feel like with things like pride it's like just come out and like some people like I know I should be able to but I'm not fucking ready yet right and I just think that there is such a beautiful comparison in here of people that need more time. And it's such an interesting comparison because with something like 
colorism you can't present differently most mm-hmm. often but mm-hmm. with something like pride you do have the ability to present yeah. differently so it is slower and different mm-hmm. for different people and yes is it hard when colorism is thrust on a child absolutely yeah. But also not forcing someone to present a way they don't want to present publicly. Like, that's not fair. No, and it's also so interesting because we're talking about a woman who does, you know, have a very important same-sex relationship. And then, again, Vanessa, who it was thrust upon her. She was like, I posed for these photographs and I was molested by a woman. And now everybody is saying that I'm a lesbian. And she was like, and I'm not. Like, that's not a title that ascribes to me, you know? So there's also, like, this weird dynamic of, like, embracing more titles to reach more people and also being like, no, like, you're telling me I'm this, but I'm fucking not. Like, I don't know. And, again, I think it all comes from a space of, like, women are never allowed to just speak for themselves, especially Mm women in public (laughs) right in public especially poor women Mm -hmm. especially women of color absolutely it's like yeah can you parade in front of me in a bikini and a ball gown yes if i let you yeah exactly can you say something no and that's what's funny it's like it's not vanessa williams is a voice Mm -hmm. and she is a voice of reason and she's written a memoir and she's spoken out about being touched against her will and it's like those things are beautiful but when people look at her they don't see her as an activist but they should they should and that's what's so crazy it's like she's not just a pretty face and it's funny because Marielle is stunning. Oh my gosh. Stunning and gorgeous. And it's like, but people see her as an activist and not as like somebody who is like working in the confines of feminine beauty. Right. And it's like this whole thing of like, why do these things all have to be separate? Why does it have to be like, you're either like brains and hard work and like beauty and nothing else. It's like, I feel like all these women had all, all those it. things in common. They had all the of whole it. package. I mean, we like are talking about Norma Smallwood, who literally was like so smart that she was like, I'm going to take this crown and I'm going to make one point five million dollars in a year off of it. And like, inspire George Lucas's vision yeah, of exactly. Princess, <laughs> Princess Leia. But like she was so smart. And then she also like in her divorce settlement, she was like you know, like people talking about like wall street betters and whatever. And she's like, no, I'm going to bet on myself. And I'm going to be like, you know, what? I will, even though I am a divorcee in like the 1930s, she was like, I'm not going to bet against myself. Like I'll take that 15 grand and I'll raise you another fucking millionaire. Right. And <laughs> right. I mean, cause who can't catch two millionaires in their life? Right. And then I you mean, have... give me the chance. And also it's like Vanessa Williams was a musical prodigy. Like, I feel like we are not giving her enough credit that she got into Carnegie Mellon. Like she is such a talented knowledgeable her voice. person her voice it's so good oh, oh my great. gosh Beautiful. and then you have marielle who is again just encompassing all three and like i think all three of these women because like i think we want to think of beauty pageants as being easy but they're not mm. like no it's a trial you learn one like it's hard it's terrible yeah. it's fun it's yeah. very fun it's very fun <laughs> but it's like you know and then like your mistakes are broadcast and they're expanded upon. And, you know, it's just, it's very difficult. And I just think that all three of these women had 
brains, beauty, and determination. And we need to respect them all for having all of them in different ways. Oh, and in I spades. Just, I mean, I just think it's cool that it like, was cool. we can compare politicians and beauty queens and find commonalities in all of them. I love it. <laughs> Are you ready to toast these women? I'm ready. Oh, let's do it. Allie, who would you like to toast this evening? So I'm going to toast to the heroes. Mm. And I'm going to be very clear. So I know there's a lot of like advertisements right now that are like not all heroes wear capes and i get that they're focused around teachers and nurses and first responders and while i really really agree that those are amazing people being a public servant i also think it's really important and incredible to like be not operating under a set of rules Hmm. she was like like all those people operate under the system and Mm -hmm. she was like i'm gonna get elected into this system and then i'm gonna break all the rules and just marielle is just a hero, plain and simple. Love a it. A hero of her people. Cheers. Cheers. What are you going to toast? I am going to toast the women who keep redefining what it means to be Miss America. Mm. Because I do think that it is something that is evolving and people want it not to be. Mm. <laughs> you know, I think about the make America great again slogan. And it's like, you want it to be great for you and not for everyone else. And Mm. I think that there are women out there who are just saying like, no, I'm American too. And even though I'm doing it differently than you, like I'm, I'm fucking miss America. You know, I just think it's great when we're constantly redefining because we're, we were built on, you know, people's fucking differences. And yeah. slavery. Yeah. You know, but, but also like, like people, like, a feminist accepting pageants, I think is another important step that's been taken. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like you can't disregard a group of women just because you don't like what, the way they present. Yeah. So yeah, I just want to toast to, to all the Miss Americas because Yay. it's more than fucking one thing. Right. <laughs> All right, Allie, what are you enjoying in pop culture this week? I'm going to promote my Alexa and listen. (gasps) Okay. I thought it was stupid. My daughter wanted an Echo Dot for Christmas, so Santa got her an Echo Dot. (laughs) And then we got, like, a couple different Alexas, like, for, like, one for the kitchen, one for a couple rooms. And it's really helpful because, like, we have a house where when you yell, you can't really hear people in Mm -hmm. other places. So it's easy to just be like, hey, talk to Caroline's room and I can like send a message to her so Mm. she knows like it's dinner time or whatever. Um, But it's actually the most like first world thing I love. It is like there's a robot on my kitchen counter telling me that Amazon delivered a package outside my front door. (laughs) There's a robot on my counter that's like, do you want? the recipe of the day and I'm like I do want the recipe of the day you're so high tech I love it (laughs) and I thought it was so stupid I didn't get it I was like you can just ask Siri for anything but it's not like connecting every room in your house Mm. it's very interesting because you can just be like play this song everywhere and every room in your house is playing the same exact song and then you can just like walk about Mm. I 
I have never been more impressed by a device that I bought <laughs> for a very, very inexpensive price. Like they are not expensive. They're really? Like, so the Echo Dots are like 25 bucks. Oh so that's gosh. the one without the screen. Yeah. The one in the kitchen we have that's a little bit bigger is like 75. And then the little screen is like 50. It's wow. not expensive. And then you just hook it up to your oh, life. That's so nice. Alarms. I mean, the only person I would talk to is like Casey. Timers like in the home, kitchen. So. You can talk to your cats. <laughs> you can talk to your cats. You can on the Alexa. You can see. You can be like, let me see the blah 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 room, and then it'll just like show you the room on your phone. Weird. It's so crazy. All right. I don't know. In the future. I'm living in Inspector um. Gadget Land, and I love it. Anybody else who loves their Alexa, hit me up. <laughs> Usually, Miss Krista tells me I'm right on my promos. What do you like? <laughs> I'm going to promote True Detective season three. Ugh. So we watched, I couldn't get through it. We watched season one a while ago <sighs> and we loved it. It was really slow in the beginning, but it was really good. We watched season two. Season two is okay, but there's a lot going on and it's very political. But season mm. three gets back to the roots and it mm-hmm. is about these two kids that get, get kidnapped and it goes all the way to the fucking top. And it is so good because it takes place across three different timelines mm. so it takes place in the 80s when the thing first happened okay it takes place in the 90s when the investigation reopens okay and then in 2015 when the two detectives are like old men the old age makeup in this show is fucking fantastic oscar um, emmy yeah, I mean, emmy it is just it's so it's so good and I love it. And I, I, it was really interesting and it, yeah, it was really fucking good. So we should Detective all watch it. Season three Got it. Delicious. Mm. Um, find us everywhere. Please do. Um, so many places. <laughs> we like to talk to you. We've been really busy lately, but we are yeah. trying. <laughs> we are trying. Um, so yeah, we're on Instagram and Facebook and everywhere. Uh-huh. And, you know, we're always doing stuff, but mostly you can find us on Patreon. You get extended cuts of the episodes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you get to hear a lot of our mistakes, a lot of our blunders, and a lot of our personal stories. Not that we don't tell enough on the show. Yeah, already. we tell them all. I, I, almost, <laughs> I almost cut no personal stories. So uh, if you want more, find us there. It doesn't take much to support the show and keep it going. Mm-hmm. And we appreciate everyone who does. Um, and also, if you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, that would mean the absolute world to us. We love it. It would be lovely. <sighs> but we want you to, most of all, never forget that well-behaved women <laughs> say that actions speak louder than words but then are fucking quiet about everything true and they rarely make history goodbye bye, bye. listening to her story on the rocks we are independently produced by 1986 entertainment and proudly recorded in baltimore maryland if there's a woman in history you would like us to cover you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com you can also message us on twitter or instagram we post all of our cocktail recipes on tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us see you next week bye